Hey everyone, Tommy here. Welcome to the online weekend experience. I'm so glad you are here spending this time with us. If this is your first time, welcome. We count an honor and a privilege that you would check out Grace Church. Uh, before I get into the rest of announcements, we have one quick announcement from our PK director, Sarah Beth. She wants to let you know about what's going on with Power Kids for the rest of this summer. Hey guys, Sarah Beth Clark here. In case you don't know, weekly on our Power Kids social media, we do a front porch check-in. You can follow us at MEC Power Kids. But I am back here on my front porch letting you know about something that we have planned this summer that we are calling Focus Summer FX. FX means family experience. So this is an experience for your whole family. And we have three things for your family. The first is our Focus Summer Devotional. This is an eight-week devotional where you will know more, understand more, and see more about faith. And we wanna get this into your family's hands. And so we wanna get a free copy to you. You guys can sign up for that. The second thing that we have happening is our Family Disciple Making Workshop which is a seven week workshop taking place on Wednesdays over lunchtime, noon to one. So we have a little lunch bunch going on on Wednesdays where we will take a closer look at God's design for the family structure and how his word contains the tools we need to be effective in our discipleship to our families. And the third thing we have for Focus Summer FX is our virtual Bible camp taking place July 13th through the 17th. And we're getting super excited about this. And so what this will be is that each kid will get a box filled with everything they need to do Bible camp at home. And so though Bible camp is looking a little different than it typically would, we are super excited to do virtual Bible camp for your kids. This will be for kids ages three through completed fifth grade. You guys can go to medinaeast.gracechurches.org to sign up for all the things involved in Focus Summer FX. Parents, you have the most influence in your kids' lives, and we want to come alongside you and help you have a focused summer, creating rhythms of investing well and pointing our kids to who Jesus is. Tommy, back to you. Thanks, SB. Uh, check out the website for more information about all that is going on with Power Kids for the summer. Next weekend is the weekend that we are regathering in person. I am stoked to see you. Uh, if you are planning on coming, check out the video in the description below for specifics on what it will look like and what it will feel like when you come next week. Don't worry if you can't make it. Um, the online weekend experience will still be going on. So you can connect with us and be a part of what is going on at Medina East, even at your own house. If you do plan on coming in person next weekend, uh, we need your help. In fact, if you don't hear anything else I say, I need you to hear this. Uh, tune in. All right, you ready? Here we go. We are asking every single person that is coming to the in-person services next weekend to RSVP online which service you plan on coming to. Uh, by RSVPing, it allows us to be prepared as much as we can. Uh, the link to do that is also in the description below. Please, I can't stress this enough. Please fill out an RSVP if you plan on coming. For all other information regarding regathering and the happenings of Grace Church, check out our website, medinaeast.gracechurches.org. Over this past week, there has been a lot going on in our world and community. Um, today, we're going to be discussing emotions and community. In today's culture, this discussion is incredibly important. And I look forward to sitting in on this conversation with Pastor Tony alongside you. A lot of the current events we see will be addressed by Tony later on in the message. So I thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to hopefully seeing you soon. And always, love you guys.
Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in as we are in the final week of our series of messages that have been on the topic of emotions. And so let me just say that if you're new or you're tuning in for the first time, uh, man, thanks so much for being with us. Or if you're just joining in, uh, thanks so much for, for tuning in. Uh, but we are uh, actually kind of catching us a little bit at the end of a sermon series that we're in. And so I would encourage you, if you missed any of the previous talks in this series, you might want to go back and check that out. I think it might be helpful for you to kind of catch up on the whole conversation. It might uh, make today make a little bit more sense uh, as we kind of continue in uh, our series on emotions together. But before we get started, I, I want to just mention real quick, I am super excited and uh, really anticipating next week. We're going to begin uh, making some efforts and some steps towards regathering in person for weekend services. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, I just want to encourage you uh, this week, our hope is to inform you and let you know about some details surrounding that, what to expect. We're hoping to film a video this week that maybe would help you kind of know what to expect a little bit. So just keep your eye on the website and uh, there'll be some details that way. But we are really excited about seeing you and about being back together. And of course, if you, uh, for any reason, don't feel like you're ready to come back yet, we're gonna continue to offer this online platform for you to engage in as well. And I also wanna mention that next week, um, looking forward to being together, and I'm also looking forward to starting a brand new sermon series uh, that we're gonna start next week called Recalibrate. And uh, man, I really think that this series is gonna be um, very important and very timely for us. In light of so much of what's going on and kind of how do we live and how do we navigate in the season that we find ourselves in in life and how do we begin to navigate in life post-quarantine. And so uh, excited about that. It might be a good opportunity to invite some other folks or maybe share the link uh, to that message series and would love for, for us to kind of do that together. And then lastly, before we jump in, I also just wanted to mention, um, you may have seen or heard about something that we've prepared called a prayer path guide. There's a video that was released this past week uh, from myself and Steve Van Meter, and we talked a little bit about how, you know, right now uh, we are living in a very turbulent and a very painful time in our country, as all of us know. And I think because of that, there is an increased need to call on the people of God, for those of us who follow Jesus, to be praying in some very specific ways. And so uh, we kind of created together uh, this, this prayer guide for you to, uh, to walk and to uh, pray about specific things in your community. So if you missed that video, it's on our website. Check that out and you can download that there. Okay, uh, but today, as we finish our series on emotions uh, and we kind of finish this whole series, I, I wanted to focus on really just one final and actually really essential aspect to this whole conversation that quite honestly, we have not yet discussed up to this point. And, uh, and this is actually an aspect that I've been kind of waiting to talk about until today as sort of a way to cap off the entire series. And what's amazing to me is I really believe, uh, just again, I see God's timing in this because I believe that what we're going to be talking about today is just so deeply relevant and significant to so much of where we find ourselves uh, right now as, as kind of a church and as a community and as a nation. And so uh, what we're going to talk about, the, the aspect of our emotions uh, that we're going to talk about is one that I believe is so critical to understanding emotions, to understanding their created intended purpose. And I believe this, I believe that to skip this aspect of emotions that we're going to talk about today, will leave this whole series incomplete. And so what is it that we're going to talk about? Well, today we're going to process through the idea of emotions and community, emotions and community. In other words, what impact and what role 
do our emotions play in how we interact with one another and how we love and how we serve one another? You know, in this whole series, we've been saying uh, that our emotions are a big part of our lives and they're a big part of what it means to be, to be human. And what I want to show you today, my hope is, as we look at scripture, is we're going to see that emotions play a tremendously important role in how we connect with and how we understand and how we love and how we can best serve each other. So my hope is that we'll, we'll see that here today. And, you know, I think here's the thing. I think a lot of us, we kind of know that already, right? We know that, man, we were created to connect this way in our emotions. We are created to connect emotionally. Uh, just, just think about this for a moment, all right? What is the first thing that a child just intuitively learns to read? What is it? Uh, it is the face of his or her parents, right? That's it. That's why, uh, we all know this, if you look at a baby and you smile, right, what does the baby do? The baby is going to smile in return. I love those little teeth, by the way, right? And if you scowl at a baby, what, what's a baby do if you scowl at them? A baby cries, right? And, and gets, gets kind of despondent. Now, of course, I'm not advocating that you do that. Uh, but here's the crazy thing. From the time that we're babies, it's hardwired into us that we are made to connect and to mirror the emotional environment that we oftentimes find ourselves in. This is actually um, what professionals call attunement, attunement. And uh, it is, in a sense, uh, the emotional connection and reciprocation between uh, two people, specifically a parent and a baby. And studies have really kind of shown that this is a critical role, plays a critical part in our growth and our development. In fact, ever since the time we're little children, we're babies, uh, there, we are writing an, an internal script based on the faces that we see. Whether we are a source of delight in this world or whether we're a source of disappointment in this world. And so, man, how we interact and respond emotionally is so crucial to how we connect with others, how we understand others, and actually how we see ourselves in the world that we live in. And so that's why I think, man, even little things like smiling are actually really important. Just a quick side note, in my research this past week, I just thought this was crazy. Uh, you know, uh, it, the, the research shows that adults smile much less frequently than children do, which I don't think surprises us. But I thought this was crazy. Do you know how many times on average a baby smiles every day? Get this, 400 times. Do you know how many times adults smile every day? 20, 20 times. And so that's why I think it's important right now. Why don't you look at someone near you? I don't know whoever's near you. Look at them and just remind them, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face, right? Tell your face, man. And, uh, and it's important uh, to express those things because it's in part how we connect with each other. So emotions are so critical to how we relate. And, you know, this is something that we know, and it's also something that I think has been reinforced and validated with the rise of technology, and more specifically with the use of things like emojis. You know, emojis are pretty crazy. Uh, it's almost a little bit of a phenomenon, what we've seen over in uh, kind of the past couple of decades with uh, emojis in particular. When emojis were first developed, I don't know if you know this, they were actually launched in 1999, and they were developed because uh, we live in a world where, where it's all text-driven communication. And so in a world where text-driven communication is used increasingly, it's an ongoing challenge to communicate tonality and emotion and for those things to be adequately conveyed. And so 1999, get this, there was 176 emojis, 
Well, they've become so popularized that as of March 2020, there are now a total of over 3,300 emojis in the, Unico in the Unicode standard. And so it's pretty crazy. It's estimated that 6 billion emojis are sent out every day. One in five tweets contains an emoji. And then studies show that 92% of the world's online population uses emojis. And here's what's even crazier. Researchers have found that when we read text in front of us, that when we read an emoji, when we see an emoji, it actually lights up, the brain lightens up in a different area than when we simply read text. Again, I think all this just validates what we already know, and that is that our emotions play an incredibly critical aspect into how we connect and how we relate to each other. I think what the Bible's gonna tell us, what we're gonna see here today, is that our emotions are actually a place, it's an opportunity, where we can meet, where we can love, and we can serve one another. That's what the Bible's going to tell us. So let me show you what I mean. In fact, if you got a Bible, why don't you join me? We're going to Romans 12. All right, so get a Bible out and uh, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Open up your Bible app and hopefully you can find yourself there. And as you're locating Romans chapter 12, let me just give you a little bit of context before we jump in here. So um, Romans 12 actually comes right after Romans chapter 1 to 11. Um, which I know is an absolutely brilliant insight, right? Uh, but it, it actually is really important because Romans chapter 1 to 11 is all about the incredible grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what Romans 1 11 is, is all about. It talks about, for example, that while we were still yet sinners, it's going to say that Christ died for us and he gave himself up for our freedom and our forgiveness. Romans 1 to 11 is gonna show us that this extravagant grace that God has displayed through Jesus that transforms us from going from God's enemies that when we place our faith in Christ, we actually become his children. And so this is unbelievable grace. And so when you get to Romans 12, he's gonna start off by saying this in verse one. He's gonna say, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, therefore, in light of everything else I've said in Romans 1 to 11, he says, in light of the incredible love, in view of God's mercy, he's, he's going to say this, this is now how you should live. This is how that should begin to transform you. And the way it should transform you is that you should offer your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, he's gonna say that God's incredible love should propel us into a life of love and sacrificial service. I'll tell you what's crazy is the rest of the chapter is all about what does it look like for those who follow Jesus to live a life of sacrificial love, practically speaking, in light of God's grace. And so for example, let me just kind of show you how it's laid out. He's gonna say in verse uh, five to eight, that one of the ways that we sacrificially love and serve for those of us who follow Christ is we do that with our gifts and our talents. That our gifts and abilities are not just to be used to serve ourselves or to promote ourselves or you know, to better our own situation, but they're actually there to love and serve other people. He's gonna go on in verse 13, he's gonna say not just with your gifts and talents, but even with your resources. That our resources, our material, our financial resources, they're not just for us to hoard or to accumulate for ourselves, but we should use those to love and serve other people is what he's going to say. And here's what's so cool. This is what I'm going to zoom in on. In verse 15, he's going to tell us that one of the ways that we can love, sacrificially love and serve, is that we can do that in our emotions. That we can use our feelings as a way not just to connect with others, but to actually love and to serve other people. I love what it says. Very simple verse, but check this out. Verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
and mourn with those who mourn. And man, I just think, wow, what an incredible, it's easy to read right past this, but what an incredible verse. Paul is, I think, pointing out here that, man, one of the ways that we love and we serve others is by entering into and to personally engaging with another person's emotional experience in a way that the Bible, I think, is going to tell us is genuine and caring. And again, if you think about it, this is a really simple, but it's a very, very profound command to be considerate of the feelings of others instead of waiting for them to be considerate of your feelings. See, if you're anything like me, I think so often, man, it is our natural impulse to think of our own feelings first and to want others and even expect others to be sympathetic to how we feel. But the command here is interesting. It's one in which the follower of Jesus is to take initiative, right? That those of us who follow Christ are to take the first step into loving and serving another person. And what he's saying is, is that our emotions are actually an area that we can love and serve someone else and we can meet them where they are. And how amazing is it that, and how amazing is it that this is a command, that this is an imperative, that God says, this is how I want you to live if you're one of my followers. And notice here that it says that part of what it means to do this, notice is he says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice, and that we should mourn with those who mourn, is what he says. Now I wanna just think about that for a minute. I think it is really profound and really important. You know, I have found uh, personally that sometimes when people are in a place of mourning or in a place of sadness or in a place of hurting, sometimes if I'm just being honest, I can feel like my role is to change or to correct how people feel. You know, that I should, I need to declare truth and I need to chase away any uncomfortable feelings and help that person feel happy again. Sometimes I can approach it that way. Uh, but I think what the Bible's telling us is that that's not always the case. That biblically, according to Romans 12, that one of the places we should probably start is first and foremost to enter into the emotions of another person, to empathize with them in those things. What I find interesting, even more interesting, is that the word that's used here, where it says mourn with those who mourn, it's actually a really, really strong word in the Greek language. It literally means this. It means to shed tears and to lament loudly. And so I think maybe even when you hear that, you can see that this is, this is talking about more than just like recognizing and acknowledging sadness in another. This is a different level of sympathy. Right? In other words, I think what he's saying is, listen, if we really love others, that we, we don't just understand their experience cognitively, but we are personally moved by it. Right? I think this is actually saying that there, there needs to be an involvement and an emotional identification that is so deep that what's happening to them is actually happening in you. It's emotionally impacting and emotionally affecting you. And I think, I think about, when, I, when I think about this passage, I think about Jesus. Um, Jesus did this. And we've talked in the series about John chapter 11. And there's, uh, it talks about the death of a guy named Lazarus. And Jesus, the Bible says, he meets with the family and friends and they're mourning the loss of uh, their family member and their friend. And in that passage, you have one of the most famous verses where the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. I just think that's amazing that Jesus, who, who knew the hope of the resurrection, he knew Lazarus was gonna be healed. The Bible tells us that still he entered into the emotions of those who were experiencing grief. He mourned with those who mourned. I think, I think what's uh, 
the Apostle Paul is saying here, which by the way, the Apostle Paul is the guy who would have written the book of Romans. I think what he's saying here is actually pretty similar to something he says in another place, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I just want to show you this. I think it's so similar. Look what he says. He says, God, is, God has put the body together. So he's, he's talking about Christians and he uses this imagery of a body. And he says, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now look what he says here. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Doesn't that sound similar? If one part suffers, we suffer. In other words, mourn with those who are mourning, hurt with those who are hurting, suffer with those who are suffering. And if one part is honored, then you should rejoice. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Again, the observation is so simple, but man, it is really profound. I actually really love the illustration of a body too. Isn't that helpful? Man, I, I just think about that. You know, like let's just say, for example, that I, I uh, was swinging a hammer and I smashed my thumb. You know, you ever do that before? It really hurts. Let's say I do, I smash my thumb, right? Now, what do I do when I smash my thumb with a hammer? I don't look down at my thumb curiously, you know, and I'm not like, huh, that's really odd. It seems like that thumb just got smashed by that hammer. I'm sure that thumb probably must really be hurting around. That's not how it works. If I smash my thumb with a hammer, you know what I do? I probably do what you do. I immediately connect and respond to the pain, right? So I, I yell, my vocal cords get involved. I yell and I'm like, ow, or, uh, maybe something different than that, depending on who's around. And I yell, and then I, I will pull my hand away. I'll hold my thumb tightly. I'll employ my hand, my other hand. I'll jump up and down. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll kick something, depending on what's going on or whatever. I'm just saying my whole body's involved, right? So what's going on here? Well, I think, I think you see this, right? It's one body. And, and because of that, my thumb, this one thumb, even though it might seem small compared to the rest of the body, given its size, when it's in trouble, the entire body focuses on that thing. And you mobilize the entire body around its protection and around its care. And so here's what I'm saying. Christians are called to this same kind of love. And especially with those who follow Jesus, Christians should be especially considerate to others who follow Christ, other members of one another. But by the way, this love should be extended not just to other Christians, but to our entire community and to our world as well. Now, I know as I'm saying this, I'm sure it's probably very clear that there is a whole lot of relevancy to this truth in the midst of the time that we find ourselves in right now. My guess is you're probably already starting to do that math. You know, man, our nation and our world is in a really hurting place. You know, not, not just with everything that's happening with COVID, but now the hurt of the injustice that our country has witnessed over the past couple of weeks, man, that's deep and it's real. And I think we feel that. And, you know, there was a, the video that was released, the death of George Floyd is, man, it's disgusting. And it's unjust and it's despicable. And I, I'll be honest, I think it's straight up evil. And I, I really believe that as the people of God, we need to recognize and we need to feel the pain of such injustice. And specifically, I believe the pain in our black community during a time like this mourn with those who mourn. And we need to hurt with those who hurt, suffer with those who suffer. And especially with those who are fellow followers of Jesus Christ. You know, over the past uh, few weeks, I actually um, had a friend and a fellow pastor here in Medina reach out. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the pastors in Medina will oftentimes communicate and talk with each other. It's actually a pretty amazing and beautiful thing. 
And this one particular pastor, as a black pastor, he actually reached out to all of us and he explained to myself and to others uh, just his experience. He just reached out to help us understand. And I just tell you, man, he was so gracious enough to expose and to let us in on his fears, on his frustrations, on his hurt, on his pain. He was very vulnerable with his emotions. And I'll tell you this much, he did it all with love, for the love of Christ and the love of us, and he did it all with the humility of Jesus Christ. But I just tell you this, as I listen to him, man, I, I don't know what, what he's experiencing. I don't fully understand that, but I was so thankful that he was willing to invite me in on what he was going through. And I tell you myself and some of the other pastors in Medina here, as we've had several conversations over these past weeks, you know, we need to hear him and we need to mourn with him. We need to, we need to be empathetic to his pain and the pain of others. And we need to pray with him and we need to have him pray for us so that we can understand as well. Listen, here's all I'm saying is we're called to mourn with those who mourn and to empathize and to, and, and to feel. And so so how, how easy, right, is it to just so quickly make something political or to formulate an opinion or to hypothesize and to become analytical from afar? God forgive us for that, right? How easy is it for us to look at something from the outside without empathizing? It can be tempting so many times to just remain d- detached from things. It can be easy when others are hurting, quite honestly, to just be happy that you're not going through what they're going through. And yet here, I think what we see is that one of the key ways that we love and serve each other is that we attach ourselves emotionally. You know, here's the thing. When the Bible says that we should mourn with those who are mourned, right now we're in a time where there's a lot of people who are mourning right now. There just are. Such complexity. There's those who are mourning and who are uh, going through a difficult time because of a loss of job. Maybe you can think of someone like that in your life group, in your community, in your family, someone around you. There's, there's people who are hurting. There's people who are mourning. There's those in our life group, in our church community who are suffering from isolation, right? Struggling with the, the mental and emotional toll that all this is taking. There's those who are scared with coronavirus and the rioting that we're seeing around our country right now. There's those who are facing severe injustice and, and they're mourning and they're hurting and they're angry in light of that. And, and there's others who are trying to serve our community in a time like this. I was just thinking, you know, I have a, a dear friend of mine who's a, actually a law enforcement officer in Akron. And, you know, he loves Jesus and he loves people. And I know that about him. And I try to imagine, I try to imagine what must it be like for him right now, for his family, for his wife and kids when he goes off to work, for him to get lumped in with other corrupt cops who are truly corrupt. And I'm just saying, man, we are called to mourn with those who mourn to love and serve each other in that way. And so the Bible's gonna say that. It's gonna say this is one of the ways that we can serve and love each other and meet each other. But notice this though, not just mourn with each other in our mourning. He also says we can rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, uh, I actually purposely wanted to talk about this one next because I think there's some significance behind this. Some commentators point out that there's actually uh, a reason that the Apostle Paul puts it in this order, rejoice with those who rejoice and then weep or mourn with those who mourn. And the reason that some commentators would say is that because to rejoice with those who rejoice in many cases can actually be quite a bit more difficult and can be a little bit harder. I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, but I thought it was interesting but if you think about it, yeah, I, I, do, I do see how uh, rejoicing with someone who's rejoicing requires, in a lot of ways, a deeper sense of connectedness, doesn't it? 
It requires a deeper knowledge and you have to know someone a little more. Like a lot of times it's easy to know when someone is going through a hard time uh, and it can be a little bit less difficult to see when there's something to rejoice. I think uh, there's also, I think for us to do this, it, is a, it requires a deeper commitment to the good of another person. And quite honestly, it requires a greater humility, doesn't it? To rejoice with people who rejoice. Think about it, to rejoice when others rejoice, to enter into their joy and to celebrate the accomplishments and successes of another really requires the absence of jealousy. And it's sometimes it can be much easier to mourn with those who mourn than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice, especially those who are doing better than you are right now or in some area of life. And I think in some ways, what Paul is saying is, you know, that's real love right there. Real love is, is real identification. I think what Paul is saying is that when, when we see God being kind and gracious to another person, we can respond with joy rather than resentment or feeling threatened. We can rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, there's a lot more we could say about that. Uh, but, uh, but for time's sake, I want to just talk a little bit practically. Okay, so practically speaking, you might be thinking, okay, that sounds good. What are some ways that we can pursue this type of sacrificial love and service? Right? How can we begin to become people who mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep? How do we become more empathetic? So I'm going to give us just five steps in light of everything that I think we've said. Okay, five practical steps. Here's the first one. I think, honestly, it just begins here. So simple. I think we just got to pause sometimes and, and just really think about other people. I think sometimes we even have to discipline ourselves to do this, just to stop and to think about other people. Sometimes it can be so easy to just block out everything and live without acknowledging others or what's going on. It's easy to just block out the media and block out the social media and block out everything else that's happening in life that I just don't want to look at. But listen, I just, I just want you to do this. Even right now, even right now, just stop for a minute. And I, I just want you right now, just think for a second, who are those in your life around you that maybe are in a particularly vulnerable place? Just think about that. Think about your family. Think about your life group. Think about work. Think about our church. Think about our community. Think about leadership. Just think about all of it. And just, just honestly, just think, who, who's mourning, right? Who, who has a unique pressure placed on them right now? Maybe, how about this one? Stop and think about this. Okay, maybe some names are coming to your mind. Stop and think about this. Who's someone who's rejoicing right now? Who's experiencing an accomplishment or a victory? A graduation, an engagement, a personal victory of some kind. Stop and just think about that for a minute. See, I think that honestly, some of it just begins by just pausing and forcing yourself to think about what other people might be going through. Very simple. Here's the second thing. I think tied to that, pause and think of them. And then here's, you initiate, you reach out, and you empathize, you empathize. And I want you to notice in this passage, once again, if you go back to Romans 12, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now, isn't it interesting that here, the imperative is placed on the follower of Jesus to be the one to take the initiative, right? That if, for those of us who follow Christ, we are actually called to make the first move towards engaging and considering the emotions of others. And so I think what he's saying is, listen, don't, don't simply wait for others to understand how you feel. But for those of us who follow Christ, it, we should take the onus upon ourselves to be the one that makes the first move, that steps into where another person is at, to reach out, to sit down, to pursue a conversation. 
you know, I honestly think one of the best ways that we can do this is by cultivating a curiosity about what others might be feeling. I, I love um, what the book of James says. It says it so well. It says that followers of Jesus should be quick to listen and slow to speak. I just think that's so good. That's something I need to, to hear as well. You know, I think sometimes it can be really easy to be so consumed with making my point or defending my own feelings that my ears get shut off to truly listening to another person. Isn't it easy to be quick to go to social media and make my point or make a statement? Much easier than sometimes sitting down with another person and actually seeking to empathize and seeking to understand. And I think, I think what he's saying here is, man, we, we, need to, we need to initiate, we need to empathize, ask questions. And then afterwards, ask follow-up questions. Don't simply wait for your turn to talk, but seek to understand and seek to empathize. And so I think that that's a big thing that we kind of see in this passage. I think, I think one of the biggest obstacles to the command to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, quite honestly, is our own self-absorption. Just be honest, I know that's true for me. Sometimes I don't think about others or seek to understand others because I'm not even paying attention or willing to initiate. And that's why I think this third thing is so crucial. Here's, here's what I would say. The third thing is this, humble yourself. You know, in order to do these first two things, I think it requires humility. And I also don't think um, that it's by any accident that verse 15, the verse we just read, is right next door and is followed up to verse 16. And what's verse 16 all about? Well, I want you to notice it's all about pride and humility. He says, live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. You know, one of the main things that keeps us from serving and loving people with our emotions, I think is a pride in our hearts. Sometimes pride shows up in such a way that we are just simply self-absorbed, like we talked about a minute ago. Sometimes pride shows up in arrogance, where we actually think that we're more important than other people. That's part of what he's getting at in this passage. Notice he says, uh, be willing to associate with people of lower position. Don't be conceited. In other words, I think what he's saying here is don't condescend. Don't think that you're better than others, or, you know, but be willing to humble yourself, just like Jesus did. And you know, I think this leads us right into our fourth thing. It's connected. Here's the fourth thing is that we should seek to honors above ourselves. So yeah, pause and think about others, initiate and empathize, humble yourself, seek to honor another person. You know, this, this, this uh, idea actually is directly tied to what something Paul says in verse 10. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Some of your translations say brotherly love. And I love that because he's saying, love each other like a family, especially for those who follow Jesus. He says, honor one another above yourself. Honor one another. You know, some translations, I love this. Some, you might have like the ESV, the English Standard Version, and it might say this. It might say, outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that great? Outdo one another in showing honor. Wow, that's a great commandment right there. You know, I think honor is such a powerful word, and we don't really use it all that often, but let me just give you a definition of honor. Honor is recognizing the value, the contribution, and the importance of others. That's what it is. It's saying, I recognize that you have value. I recognize that you're important. I recognize that God loves you and cares that you have dignity, is what it is. Do you know what the opposite of honor is? The opposite of honor is contempt. And what is contempt? That's evaluating something or someone else as below oneself or without worth. It's basically saying you're worthless or, or you're below me or I'm better than you. 
And, and you know, contempt is honestly born from a place within us that says, you're without worth and I'm superior to you are. And here's the truth. I think, man, we live in a culture that more and more is defined by contempt and is less and less defined by honor, by honoring each other. And I think, honestly, that this is a problem that doesn't just exist in our culture. It doesn't just exist in our political system. It doesn't just exist in all these things outside of us. I think it's a problem that lives right here. It's right inside of every single human heart. Just think about that for a minute, okay? Let me just prove it to you. Let me just ask you right now, what do you think of the people who vote differently than you? And I just ask you that. What do you think about them? You think, yeah, you know, they're smart, witty, reasonable, well-intentioned people. Is that what you think? Or do you think, uh, no, they're an idiot. I don't know why they think what they think. And clearly I have a superior opinion to them. Or is that what you think? Or how about this? Just think about those who post things on social media that are the opposite of your opinion. What do you think about them? What's your first thought? To tend to think, yeah, you know, they're valuable and they're important. Or is it to think, uh, yeah, they're less than and uh, maybe their opinion is worthless or they're worthless or whatever that might look like. How do you respond to them? That probably demonstrates quite a bit of what's going in our heart. All I'm saying is that this is something that lives within us as well. I heard it once said this way, that one of the reasons why we may not rejoice with those who rejoice or mourn with those who mourn maybe is because we're glad that they're weeping or we're mad that they're rejoicing. Proverbs 17 actually says something similar. Proverbs 17 says that the ungodly are kind of like those who are glad at the calamity of other people. I'm just saying that's not the way that God's children are supposed to be. Much of that is born out of a place of contempt, not out of brotherly love and certainly not out of a pursuit of honoring each other. And so I think, I think when Paul says this, that we should, we should outdo each other in showing honor, I think in essence what he's saying is kind of this. He's saying, look, don't, don't simply express love and sacrificial service to a select certain kind of people group, not just to your family or to those who look like you or those who think like you or those who vote like you or those who act like you. I think what he's saying is, listen, be willing to associate and to love and serve and empathize with those who are different from you, politically different, economically different, socially different, racially different. Why? And here's why. Because they're made in the image of God. And they're dearly loved by him and they have value. Every, every person on planet earth, the Bible says, has value in the eyes of God. I mean, think about it for a minute. Wasn't that Jesus' attitude? Jesus even said that in Matthew 5, didn't he? Jesus said this. He said, listen, he said, if you only love those who are like you. He's like, how does that make you any different than anybody else? But it's when you love those who are different than you, even your enemies, even those who are opposed to you. He's like, that's actually the true sign that you have the love of God within you. And the last thing is this. I just think here it is, man. How do we, how do we empathize and, and connect with people emotionally? I think we pray with them and we pray for them in their pain and in their joy. You know, if we're, we are to enter into the emotions of others, I believe that one of the greatest ways we can do that, by the way, is to just pray for them. Pray with them and pray for them. I believe that God will transform our hearts in that process as well as we cry out to God for them and with them in their joy and in their pain. And so there's a lot more we could say on here, but let me just end with this, all right? So you're probably looking at this list and you're thinking, yeah, that sounds, sounds great, man. Yeah, it'd be awesome if everybody did that, but let's be realistic. Like, I can't do that. 
I mean, honestly, this list right here, this does not come natural to any of us. It doesn't come natural to me. So where in the world am I going to find the power and the motivation to do this? Because I'll just tell you this much, I'm certainly not going to find it within myself. So where are we going to get that from? And so let me just end here. I think where we get that from is just like we said in the beginning, the only place that we can look to be motivated and transformed in this way is to the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's why in Romans 12, what's he say? Therefore, see, everything we just talked about is in view of God's mercy. Only then, only when we, we internalize and allow that mercy to transform us, are we going to be able to see that mercy flow out of us. Now just think about it. Those five things I showed you, isn't it true? Jesus Christ did every single one of those for us. Didn't he? Let's think about it for a minute. In, in view of God's mercy, how was God merciful? And Jesus thought of us. He thought of us. The Bible says he saw us. He came to us. He came to be with us. He, he thought, he, he saw us in our sin and in our brokenness. And rather than condemning us, he chose to come to us. Not only that, Jesus initiated and he empathized with us. Jesus initiated. The Bible says that he made the first move. He didn't wait for us to come to him because he knew we couldn't. So he was the one who descended from heaven to come and be with us. He was the one who initiated and he empathized with us. He empathized. The Bible, Bible tells us that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it in John chapter 3, verse 17. So he initiated, he empathized. Jesus humbled himself. Just like I said, he left the luxuries and privileges of heaven. He laid aside his rights, Philippians chapter 2, so that he could meet us where we are. And then he honored us. He honored us. He valued us so deeply, even though he had every right to deal with us contemptuously. Jesus Christ instead decided to treat us mercifully. And then lastly, man, he prays for us. Jesus prayed for us and he prays for us. The Bible says that he prayed for our good, even in the time of his most severe pain and injustice. On the cross, he prayed, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He pleaded on our behalf before the Father. And you know, the Bible says that he even prays for us now, that he intercedes for us on behalf of, of us to God. And so he does all of these things for us. And so all, all I'm saying is this, is that, man, listen, there is no policy. There is no law. There is no system and there is no vaccination that is going to heal the human heart. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's not merit to those things. Please hear me. But they are not ultimately what's going to bring about change and is going to solve the biggest problem that we have, which is our own selfishness and our own pride that exists in every single one of us. It is only through the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ that real transformation can take place. It's only in view of God's mercy. And so I think as we look at these five things, these five steps, the only way we can do that is by looking to the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. And so my question is, do you know Christ? And if, if you don't know him and you've never received that mercy, I would encourage you maybe even now to turn to him, to in view of his mercy, to, to let that absorb inside of you and then transform the way you think and the way that you live. Because I believe that in Christ is freedom and in Christ is transformation. Let's pray together. 
Well, Jesus, we, we need you desperately. We always do. We always do. Right now, we feel it more. But the truth is, God, that you're the only one. You're the only one who can truly change, and you're the only one who can transform our hearts, that we can become more like you. God, I want to plead with you on behalf of our community, on behalf of our country, on behalf of your church. Lord, would you heal the broken things? I think all of these past weeks that we've seen have only exposed deeper systemic problems that already exist. And Father, it's complicated. But Jesus, we beg you for justice. We know you love justice. We beg you for mercy. God, you love mercy. And Lord, we all ask for humility, how desperately we need it, how desperately I need it. And we come to you asking for that in your name, Jesus. Amen.